The Edifice Complex podcast is brought to you by DCM, the drawing specialists, Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software, and Sensor Suite, the future of intelligent buildings. Welcome to the Edifice Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work, perspective on the adjacent possible, and challenges to the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host and official mediator. Here with my colleague, official agitator, friend, and Yoda of most everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, sir, Yoda. Hello there. I mean, I'm looking forward to this because anyone who's got building science wonk in their job title, I'm all in on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today we have uh, one of Canada's prolific proponents of everything to do with great residential buildings. She's all about the science, planning, and education. Welcome to the show, Shauna Henderson. Well, thank you. What a great introduction. Sean, you, um, like so many of our other guests, there's never been a dull moment on your life's continuum. <laughs> we've talked before nope. about that on other shows that we've been on. And you have a diversified education from building technology to social ecology, which is really actually interesting. Hopefully we'll get that into the conversation today. You're the chief cook and bottle washer, not at one company, but at two companies, Blue House Energy and Be Free Homes Designs Limited. Absolutely love your ethos of collaboration and cross-pollination. That is so powerful. Tell our listeners how that became part of your passion. I'm going to start when I was 16. I know you said keep it brief. brief, So here's the ethos came from when I was 16. What I wanted for my birthday was a soldering iron, a hammer, and a subscription to Harrowsmith magazine. (laughs) Wow. I was like a back to the lander, like, from birth, but growing up in a totally sort of, you know, quote, normal suburban household. My life moved into graphics and communication stuff. That was my first official career, but I've been an entrepreneur all the way from when I was 19, when I first set up a dressmaking company, because my mom was like, you're driving me crazy. Go get, do something. It was in the 1980s when, you know, last hired, first fired. I lost three jobs within three months or whatever, you know, something crazy like that. And so I kind of curveballed into building science through this desire to save energy and look at all these funky things and, you know, the whole back to the lander idea. I was in this company working with building products. I was their art director. I nearly had a complete and utter meltdown, nervous breakdown, destroyed life moment working with this company because I was riding my bike and I had, I wasn't using any, you know, grocery bags. I was uh, doing all the groovy things that you do to, to reduce energy, pollution, junk, et cetera. And yet my job was to design packaging for shit product coming in for <laughs> building, pro, uh, you know, for, for, for houses. And yeah, part. Oh yeah, it was awful. And I went into this huge sort of, depressive funk. <laughs> and I ended up trying to take myself out of this funk. I had like an hour and a half of reflexology. And then I went into a sensory deprivation tank for an hour and a half. And I came out at the end of it and said, oh, I'm going to be an architect. So that was <laughs> because it was something that really touches everybody's lives, right? Something to yeah. live in, something, some kind of shelter. 
turns out that architect was not what I wanted to do because really what I wanted to do was help people in their houses. I had a cousin who was a carpenter and I asked him about getting into the industry and he said, oh yeah, well, don't be an architect because they don't know how houses go together. And I was like, oh, cool. Who does? He said, well, you know, builders like me. And I said, can I be on your crew? He said, no, you're a girl. <laughs> At which point I said, fuck that shit. I want to do this. So I quit my job, quit my marriage and went to school at BCIT for building technology. And then that wasn't enough because I said, so cool. When did we learn about this R2000 thing? I want to, you know, this is all about, you know, reducing energy and, and what about passive solar? And, and they said, no, next year, we're going to teach you how to spec concrete block buildings. And I went, fuck that shit. I'm out of here. Uh, I wish my mom was like, are you ever going to finish anything? And I said, oh, yeah, I am. I'm on a path. And the path finishes now at some point, whenever. I ended up getting out here from Vancouver to Nova Scotia on a 10-month contract to work with Don Roscoe and Solar Nova Scotia to write a book on passive solar. So they were like, oh, I had touched base with them and said, I just want to come out and, you know, work on your site for a month. I just, I'll pick up the cigarette butts. I don't care. I want to learn about passive solar. And he said, well, I could do something better than that. Would you like to come out? And because your resume says that you can do all of this graphic stuff and you've got writing skills. And that was the first blending of building science and writing and graphics for me. And that's just sort of where everything flowed from there. So that was in 1990. (laughs) Yeah, so the path has just sort of exploded and been in front of me the whole time. So what I got out of that introduction is that you built dresses with a hammer and a soldering iron. And Mm. so I'm thinking Iron Maiden maybe dresses. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I was actually, I ended up dressing a couple of drag queens. So yeah, there was a there was some heavy machinery used to to you know to to build those things out. Oh, there's my my brand new dog yapping. And the other thing I got out of that, Shauna was a new acronym FTS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do. That'll do. I'll get my new tattoo. Maybe my that's what you tattoo. should name your new puppy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I have something else really funny to share with you. Uh, when I was in school. And I had quit my job and left my marriage. I also cut off all my hair and paired down to two pairs of jeans, like three t-shirts, a winter jacket, and a scruffy, nasty old jeans jacket, like an old Levi's jacket. Yeah. On the back of which, in a huge chisel-pointed Sharpie, I wrote the word wench. (laughs) And then I put the the little carrot, the arrowhead underneath, and I put the letter R between the W and the E. So it was like wench, wrench. I was just like, like I'm just going to be a wrench in this system. I'm fine. So was that your so, uh, Britney Spears moment, you know, shaving your head? <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't shave my head. I cut it all off. I just cut mm. it off. It was, oh, uh, yeah. That was so much better if you were shaving your head. <laughs> well, I did shave my head actually in 2012 for a foundation uh, called Tits and Glitz, which is a first frontline organization working with women with breast cancer. I actually raised 1200 bucks for shaving my head. And most of that money came from the men that I knew in the building industry. So kudos wow. to all those guys who were like, oh, hell yeah, shave your head. That's hysterical. So for our listeners, if you haven't figured it out, Sean is all in. (laughs) 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 
And you said something was which was really interesting and about you know you can't join our crew because you're a girl like and FTS right. <laughs> you know we we've had some. Oh, I mean the women we've had on our show have been awesome, all of them, and they all have had a story. And yeah, and you know Emily Karen quite well. Yeah, you've had her on your yep. show. And you guys both have that chutzpah that's basically based on FTS. And yep. you know the perseverance and determination and passion. And again, going back to that collaboration and cross-pollinization, I mean, that's really, we hear that over and over again, particularly from the women, some of the men too, but you know, the women have really drive that a lot. And I remember, well, you, we first met, you came to the website, yes. com. whenever that was. I, can't, I can't even remember the year. And back then we had just Mary Gold. What was her name? She, anyway, she was talking about women and men. And their influence, and one of the oh yeah, and it was it was it was when when a bunch of stuff came up about how women were always cold in in office spaces because they were women. Yeah, right. That was you know it. <laughs> yeah, so it's like an episode of Mad Men. <laughs> it is well, and you know, one of the I can't remember who said it, but it was something along the lines that the difference between men and women in a household is a mother will know her sons and daughters, friends, acquaintances where they are, who they're hanging out with, who's good, who's bad. And a man will barely know that there's other people living in the house. And it was, and that was, there was, there was some great books. Tom Peters at the time was writing a lot about the power of women in industry and promoting women to, you know, elevate into higher positions. And because of their ability to collaborate, and their ability to cross-pollinate, you know, basically your ethos and Emily's ethos. Well, and it's, it's really something that there's a whole cultural thing around growing up as a girl that you will collaborate because that's what you do. But mm. then there's the whole mean girl syndrome, right? Like, I don't get that part. I'm like, that's buying into the patriarchy, mm. right? But you're expected as a woman, you're expected to multitask all the fucking time, mm. like all the time. And when you stop doing that, there's a bunch of noise from a bunch of people about why are things not getting done? So for me, I'm trying to channel more of that energy into the work I want to do so that I collaborate with, with the people that I want to work with. And in my household, I don't do it. <laughs> There's a like, no, no, there are chores and they are yours. I am not your housekeeper. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, it is hard in our business, I think, for females, but there is, I used to like the old Margaret Thatcher approach just be objectively better than everyone else, and you can't be ignored. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, Adam, you know what, with that, I had to work 120% yep. to get to where I am. and. Every man that I was in school with coasted along at 70% and got better jobs than me right out the gate. And that's still the case. You know, we're still, we're still like women are, you know, at the halfway point in the year, they're never going to make as much money as, as most of the men in the field. And, you know, I remember Don Fugler, I came in sort of really as a neophyte in terms of being a, a, you know, a consultant. And I put together a proposal for CMHC, one of their uh, research projects. And he came back and he said, you know, I think you're going to win the bid anyway, but are you cognizant of how much money you're not making with your bid? Like everybody else was twice as much as you. <laughs> it was Bless Don Fugler, right? Because yeah. Don's a good guy. And the fact that he yeah. gave you that heads up, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. He's retired yeah. now, so he can't get in trouble for, for this story. <laughs> no, no. And I can, I can tell a few more, but I'm actually going to be interviewing him for my next podcast season in the next little bit. Oh, that's awesome. So he's going to be on next week. Well, you know, it's, he's always been on my radar screen as far as I can remember, but I never, I think I only met him once. I never really had a chance. But I mean, you think about the legacy he left behind at CHC yeah. and the research huge. work that he led, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I have huge respect for Don. He was the person who kind of basically said, well, here's work and I want you to do it. So bid on these things. Yeah. You know, not that I want you in, and it wasn't like I was a shoe in for them, but it was like heads up. And I started working with him through Terry Waters at Sustainable Housing. I don't know if either of you know or remember Terry. Terry was the technical director for CHBA here in, in Nova Scotia and at that point was running the R2000 program. And he was another guy who I went out, you know, I got, I went to Manitoba and I did this one-year program called Sustainable Shelter Technology at the Assiniboine Community College, which I would love to get back up and running because the basis of it was there, you know, of everything is still there. There's some things that need to change around materials and windows, you know, those kind of things. But that that course was great. I came out of it with all of my HRAI tickets for for residential. I came out with my R2000 inspector and plan evaluator ticket. It was the best program ever. And I really like talk more about how we could actually lift up what needs to be done. Because if you go to school, I'm gonna I'm digressing. I'm gonna come back. <laughs> uh, but if you go to school right now for any part of the residential trade, you don't get those things. Those are all add-ons, right? You don't come out of even a, you know, a, a two-year program in Carpenter. You don't come out with these really important tickets. You don't know how to do a heat loss, heat gain calculation. You don't know, you know, so if you're going to go be a builder, then you need to go and get all of this other stuff under your belt. Whereas if you had those things, when you left school, you could hit the ground running. You could hit the ground running in all sorts of other areas as opposed to to strictly carpentry. But okay, so back to my story. I came back from that program to Nova Scotia and I had these tickets and I called up Terry, who was the technical director there. And I said, I have these tickets and I could, you know, I, I think I need to have five houses under my belt before I can actually get licensed or certified. I said, do you think you could like find time for me to do that and he said how fast can you get here i have a blower door waiting for you and you can be out the door you know <laughs> and i said like, oh he said yeah we have two we're behind by 200 units right now so Holy <laughs> crap. Like, yeah. all right it was just him and another guy named tim schultz and they put me in the field and i worked for terry for five years but god bless him i was out in the field doing my first rounds of of uh, blower door testing and site inspection and he had to be there to sign off that I had done you know walk walk mm-hmm. through what I had done and every single time there was a builder or site crew crew chief or supervisor on site who said how how does everything look he would look at Terry and say so Terry how does everything look for this house and Terry would shrug his shoulders and say I don't know I didn't do the test ask Shauna <laughs> Good right. So it's like yeah, I had these, you know, I was lucky in in I was I was very happy to go through a few of these like sort of crucial points in moving me forward to have men who were like, 
this is a capable person. Just because she doesn't have a penis doesn't mean she doesn't have a brain. Do this, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's still a struggle, right? But but the thing is that I always had to be 120% better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the Margaret Thatcher thing is fine, except it's really tedious after 30 years of being in the industry to say, oh, wait, here's my resume, you know, and, and open it up like one of those giant, you know, <laughs> scroll. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe me now? <laughs> No, unfortunately, you know? I mean, I've got two daughters and they they hit this sometimes. And the, the truth is no one cares. So you just have to be objectively great and just push your way through it, headbutt your way into things, right? And Yeah, it's but but after a lifetime, it's boring. Oh, it gets I, like 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 the tedium of that is stunning. So I'm really happy to be working with people who are less inclined to see things in genderized ways like that. Or you know, you know, sex marker differences. But I'm also working with a lot more women who are in the field who are saying, "I'm really bored of having to prove myself." And so there is a smaller, almost like a subcurrent of women who are doing renovations, doing you know, building, doing project management, being site managers. And we will only change the industry because right now we're still at four. If we're lucky, we're at four percent representation. I think if we're uh, lucky. Yeah. Demographics are going to work wonders for this situation because the skill shortage that's, that's oh, yeah. right now, it's just going to make, I mean, to get a plumber or a bricklayer to come to my house, I've got more chance of Queen of England coming to my house, quite frankly, right? So at that point, you don't get care if it's male, female or Martian, right? <laughs> right. Well, the, and the thing is, from my experience, when I walked into people's houses, I could visibly see them relax. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't a man, yeah. and and now because there are so many women who are actually property owners, whether they're owners of their houses or owners of rentals or whatever, that there is actually a really strong market for women to be in the field, either as you know energy advisors or as project managers or as in the field doing on the tools. But we're still at this crazy tiny percentage. So where we're we're already down like what a hundred thousand bodies in the field, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. The field, the field is tough, right? Because face it, it's cold and horrible, and it doesn't attract a lot of people sometimes. Right? <laughs> I can see in engineering, there's a the female to male ratio is really evening out, and I actually think in the long term that will be like medical field where women will outnumber men. I think that's not far away. Right, and that's 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 grand. Awesome but I really hope that what happens in engineering isn't what has happened in the medical field where I was talking to nurses a while ago about this, about equity and and representation levels and stuff. And they said, well, you know, and I, and I said some flippant thing about how, well, it's, you know, it's nice to see the opposite in the medical field and especially in nursing. And these women nurses said, you know, the female nurses were like, well, yeah, except for those guys get promoted into higher paying, higher responsibility jobs faster than women. And so they move through the system faster still. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I so mean, so unlike in, in 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 the building industry, women aren't charging ahead. And when there's a woman, it's not like, oh my God, you must know everything. Here, have a big paying job. <laughs> but, you know. The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Can you find the drawing and supporting documents you need in less than a minute? Now you can with Echo. It's simple. Just type what you're looking for and press enter. 
Echo knows your building. Speak with a drawing specialist today. Ask about our special offer of painless onboarding plus six months free with Echo. Visit podcast.thedsoffer.com. That's podcast.thedsoffer.com. And now, back to the show. There was a study that came out, uh, I think it was last year, actually, and they looked at males and females in the healthcare industry at job responsibilities and stress levels. And one of the things that came out of the study was that female doctors tended to be looked upon as nurturing from their colleagues. And so the colleagues ended up actually taking up so much of their time because they felt free to share whatever mm-hmm. whatever was going on where the male doctors were very cut and dry very cold yeah. like don't come to me with your issues i've got a job to do and as a result the the way that the two uh, genders did their jobs was definitely the stress was definitely different yeah. what do you think about that i would uh, yeah absolutely it goes back to the thing we're talking about about collaboration like mm-hmm. if it's forced collaboration then that's just another form of of kind of you know some kind of slavery <laughs> Right. Mm. Like emotional labor, slavery. If you are stuck in that place where you are always the person who is going to make something happen or usher something along or be the person who, you know, pulls all the threads together and keeps all the background stuff flowing, then you're still the emotional labor provider. And it is exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely exhausting to be in that position. I find even like in my home life, I am, I get to be sometimes really quite sharp edged because I don't want to do all that stuff. Yeah. I just don't, I I don't, you know, I'm like, I'm like, hold on. I run two companies. I don't want to fucking run the household too. (laughs) Y'all, you know, you're going to school, you're working, you're working and going to school. Like we're all busy. Why does this fall on me? Right. And that's a social construct that it, and, and why do I take it on? Why do I continue to take it on? Why do I think that it's my responsibility to go, oh, you know, I really don't want to do the housework. So therefore it's on my shoulders to hire mm. a housekeeping service Yeah. as opposed to my partner. Why isn't it on his shoulders? Yeah, I know. I agree. There's a, there's a, there's a, so that, that comment on collaboration was interesting. So there's two types of collaboration. There's forced bullshit collaboration and then there's a natural collaboration where people really mm-hmm. get together and you get the synergy of like two plus two equals six, right? But that yep. forced collaboration is such phony stuff. And yeah. it's just ways, a source of stress and conflict normally, right? In many yeah. ways, Adam, it goes back, we talk, we've talked before about the difference yeah. between leaders and managers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're not the same individual at all, or the leader is confident enough to let collaboration happen and in fact encourages it and wants other people yeah. to take initiative. and, yeah. and but. In doing so, I remember who said it. It was they were talking about leadership and and that you know a leader would never ask anybody to do something that they wouldn't be prepared to do themselves, yeah. right? Where a lot of managers get it in their head that well we're the manager and we don't have to do this shit and you know that's the responsibility of all the minions under us. Mm-hmm. FTS, shall <laughs> you know, and you can tell the difference right between yeah. leadership and management, and you know there's a reason why people end up. But also at the same breath, you know, you have to be careful because you can get leaders that are narcissistic. A lot of them are malignant narcissists, just like my good self. But it's, you know, (laughs) understanding the difference between a manager and a leader is a really important distinction in life. If you get that early in your career, 
it makes your ability to navigate through stuff a lot easier, right? Oh, totally. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, understanding that, I never really got that until I was in my 40s. You know? <laughs> it was like, what? It's something that comes with experience maybe. But, yeah, I, I've got two daughters who are, like, forging their way in their careers. They're in their sort of mid, late 20s now. And, you know, they, they, they come up against things all the time. It's really interesting seeing the world through their eyes. And it is infinitely better for them than it was, say, for your generation, I'd say, in our generation. But it's still not I, where it should be. That I, is for sure. Yeah. I have it. My daughter's 24, and I'm here. You know, there, there's, yeah, there are things that are way better. Yeah. There's things that, like, oh, my God, are we still talking about this? And especially <laughs> with the women I know in the trades. Like, I, you know, if I go into any of the, uh, like, you know, on Facebook, I'm in, involved with a few of the women in trades groups. It's the same shit all the time. How do I get onto a site where, you know, how do I stop people from saying these rude things to me? Like, did these people not go to kindergarten? Do they not know how to be nice to each other? You know, it's, it's like what you can get away with. And then, of course, in our industry, we have this, you know, we have 70% of the organizations in the residential industry are what are called micro businesses. There's less yeah. than four people, four people or less in yeah. staff. And of those, I think something like 49% of them have zero staff. So yeah. these are small shops. It's the way the business is, right? Everybody is, you know, and everybody's they're, they're a subcontractor to somebody else in a lot of ways, a lot of, a lot of markets. And you can't change the culture of the industry from you know, top down in those organizations no, because no, the top is also the bottom is the middle. Yeah, there is no hierarchy. So, so my, my goal and what I'm trying to do is with, you know, whatever coattails I have in the industry right now is like, okay, young females, jump on board, get on the coattails. We're going forward and get on board. Let's see if we need to get more women in positions of ownership, not management. They need to own the yeah. company yeah, because when you own the company then you can change the culture and you change the culture of the organize you know organization by organization and then you actually have this whole thing that changes because now you can't call somebody a fucking cunt yeah because because all, because everybody who's got a, a you know a vulva on the on the site is going to say excuse me yeah <laughs> that's yeah, interesting exactly. because that's where where it it can actually work for female-led businesses because a small construction business can be, as you say, a micro business, two, three, one, two, three, four people, right? And that would be once you're through the trade school and made your bones, for want of a better word, right? To set up a, an all-female or a mixed business like that would be relatively easier, say, right? Because you can mm-hmm. start with two or three of you who are aligned and, you know, had that yeah. and relate. I'd love to know what the numbers are of females going through trade school because that's where you've got to get people into, right? Females going through trade school right now is depends on where you are in the country, but it yeah. is roughly. And if we're talking, you know, trade school is a broad, yeah. that's a broad range, about between ten and fifteen percent. Uh, and we're moving out into the field. It's not. It's not high. Yeah. And what? And then we have in some parts of industry there, like in heavy construction, there's a little bit higher percentage of women there than in the residential world. But you have attrition, so you have women going through training. You know, and this is all, and, and because this yeah. trade schools are primarily about apprentice programs, yes. yeah. um, so so they can track this. You know, women are going through training. 
they're getting hired, they're, you know, and they're working their way up through their apprenticeship stuff. The attrition rate is super high. We might have 10% women going in and three years out, there's only 4%. Because, why, why is that, do you think? Because the workplace is toxic. On top of that, there's no flexibility. So if you are a single parent or if you're co-parenting or if you're partnered with someone and they're working, but you need to, you know, juggle time for childcare. Like this doesn't, this isn't just about women either, right? Yeah, right this yeah. is about parenting, becoming families. being a parent means families. So, yeah. so where we would might have motherhood or maternal rights, we should actually be talking about parental rights because having a flexible workplace and allowing people to ebb and flow as they need with their kids and say, I can't be there because I have to pick up my kid for whatever reason. And, you know, more and more big companies are doing that work. Supporting Women in Trades ran back-to-back conferences, one here in Halifax and one in Vancouver. I got to go to both of them, which was great. But they talked a lot about this idea of the things that make it easier for women to get into the workplace and stay in the workplace are beneficial to people of any flavor. So, yeah, it sounds... Well, society. Yeah. Yeah. Society. Yeah. Yeah. So here's... Here's one of the things that, that I talk about a lot internally and externally, <laughs> and that is that men should not be satisfied with how the trade system treats them. It treats them like disposable garbage. Don't get me right? started about unions and trades. I could blow my mind. I was trying to get in the union now to see how that market is rigged and that labor market controlled. It's like a goddamn episode of Sopranos here. Where I live, it is yeah, outrageously yeah. corrupt, and this is the problem. Yeah, but it, but, but this is this is everywhere, right? And this, is, but the, but I'm not talking about the politics part of it. Yeah. I'm talking about if you are going into the trade as a carpenter or a plumber yeah. or laborer of any, you know, you are disposable. Oh yeah. Your body, you know, like I know we're getting people who are coming to us for the energy advisor training. They're like, yeah, I'm a 35-year-old red silk carpenter. I've been working, you know, 10, 15 years. And my back is done. My shoulder's done. My lungs. hip is broke. You know, my knee, my lungs. Yeah, everything. My body can't handle this anymore. And it's like, geez, you're 35 years old. That's wrong. Like, that is, that's just absolutely wrong. And construction, I love this, I love this little piece of information I found out through Green Media did a, a Sarah Gooderman, one show she did, pointed out that construction is second to last in adaptation of technology yeah. in, the, in the workplace. Second only to what? Oh, let me tell you, hunting and fishing. <laughs> I checked true. <laughs> so, so, so if you were to say, for instance, like, why isn't any significant residential builder investing $5,000 in an exoskeleton to save their crews, their, their crews that they have put time and effort into training, into, you know, spinning up to the place they want. So, you know, maybe this is a, I don't know, maybe this is a, this is maybe a challenge to hang out to, I don't know, like Doug Terry, maybe. Hey, um, you're listening. I mean, he, he buy it That's on. He's he trying to, come on, Doug. Yeah. You know, if, you, if there's you, anybody you could do it, he could. Or Larry Clay. Oh, Larry Clay. Yeah, you know, like really, because if you had, if you put that $5,000 investment into an exoskeleton and you extend that person's viable work life by 20 years, 
That's a pretty significant. Well, think about that. 20 years of skill development. Like, I mean, you already have them invested. And then over every time they do something, their skills get better and better and better. Why would you want to dispose of them? I'll answer that question for you right now. Let me clear this up for you, right? (laughs) It's a zero-sum game. So if you're doing it and the others aren't, you're not winning work. And two, the union will see that and say, well, that's an unfair advantage. Or they'll find some reason to stop that. So the nice thing about most of Canada and most of the residential mm-hmm. industry is we're not unionized. Yeah, well, the residential, the residential side, yeah. is more of a wild west, but then that's... Yeah, the, oh, it's else. definitely a wild west, which is yeah. another problem. And we yeah. could talk about, the, you know, I have yeah. a whole rant about like, why don't we license, you know, builders? Because it's not like a hairdresser where if you cut it wrong, it's going to grow back, right? <laughs> so on that subject, let's talk about what is your opinion on the current state of play with residential buildings in Canada and where do you think the is going? Because, you know, I think demographic problems are really starting to show up now in, in construction and building. And residential is always at the the thing no one really talks about, right? Because there's a cult around mm-hmm. residential buildings. Now, you will buy that house and you will accept the bullshit they give you and you will be happy, you know, and you yeah. will complain. <laughs> yeah, right? and there's so, no place for you to complain and you should be okay with that. It's a goddamn cult. Oh, yeah. Where are you on it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that we have to get out of the Wild West. These, you know, there are so many people out there who are just like freaking cowboys because, you know, there's only 4% of them who are not boys, the women I know who are in the industry, like me, have had to be in that place where I need to prove myself at 110, 120, maybe 150 percent just to get on the playing field. So they're not the same as the the larger part of the industry. And I'm not, you know, there, there are some people in the industry who are doing amazing things and who are pushing a really strong agenda for sustainable housing, for licensing, for affordable housing. And so those aren't the people I'm going to speak to. They're on the right track doing it. But the rest of the industry, like the bulk of the industry is off a tailgate. In most of the country, you do not have to have a license to practice building. You have to have a business license. Maybe if you don't do everything by cash. But the rest of it is just like, you know, I've had clients I've, you know, who spent several thousand dollars having me do a consulting service for them, design service, drafting up a whole thing, giving them a whole spec list, hand it over and have some Bojack, somebody out in the, from the woods in Nova Scotia. <laughs> Joey Bag of Donuts construction. Yeah. Not. <laughs> Joey Bag of Donuts say, Oh, you don't need that stuff. You know, we don't, you don't need yeah. to have insulation under the slab. You don't need to have that. You know, I've built a hundred dairy barns and all we've done is put yeah. radiant foil bubble wrap on the outside yeah. and it's fine. And it's like, we're not fucking housing cows here. <laughs> yeah, so I've been fired. There's a reason why he does dairy barns. Cows, cows can't complain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when they do, it just sounds like they're happy. Same thing. Yeah, but that kind of thing, you know, it's all over the place. And I mean, and that's been for years. I came into this industry working in the R2000 space and had all sorts of builders out there, you know, with their arms folded across their big old chests going, oh, yeah, I built something that's just like an R2000 house. And I'm like, oh, yeah, prove it. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't have to prove it. I put extra insulation in the attic. And, 
You know, we've got double pane windows. I'm like, well, where's your blower door test? And where's your energy model? Oh, I don't need one of those. Okay, genius. Um, you know, you know, I double dog dare you. Let me come in and do a blower door test and do a, 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 an, an, an energy model on your house. And let's see how really fucking close you are to the R2000 house. Yeah. Probably not. Because I can see the places where all your air leakage is happening. So you're not going to pass. And then I know that, you know, you skimped on those windows and I know that you have R20 in your walls and R40 in the, in the ceiling. That just meets code, bud. Yeah. So congratulations. You're just legal. There's no consequences for bad work or non-compliance, right? And there's yeah, no, um, there's no compliance check-in, right? So it, like on a mission critical, if I work on a mission critical lab or data center, everyone's checking everything, right? And there's bad, bad things happen to you if you don't do the right thing, right? Yeah. Not yeah, in housing, yeah. right? Yeah, because, well, you know, you're building, if you're building on spec, doesn't yeah. matter. You're going to be, you're going to be done and gone by the time somebody goes, wait just a minute. Yeah. And, and custom builders, like I have friends who just, they were supposed to, you know, COVID, of course, we're going to, you know, we'll give some, the builder a little bit of leeway on that. They were supposed to have been in their house last January. They got in last month. Uh, uh, so, so not 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 January to April, January 2021, 20, 20. To April 2022. <laughs> yeah, like what was that, 14, 15 14, months? 15, 15 months over. So they had to put all of their plans on hold. They had to juggle, you know, the amount of money it cost them to wait on the builder. And there's no, there's zero, zero way that they can get that money recouped. Yeah. They spent thousands. They had to live in an Airbnb for two months after yeah. their their existing house sold. They had to store everything in pods on their property. They, you know, like there's no, you know, and I and I get that there's an issue with COVID and the supply chain, et cetera. But but this is not new. This is just this piece was just extraordinarily long. This is 15 months instead of three or six. Yeah, you know, and and that, part of that is planning and I mean, even with supply truck, you know, we were talking earlier about getting windows on a project that we're on. Actually, Emily did the uh, blower door test and we uh -huh. uh, used the uh, aero barrier on it, by the way. Oh, cool. I love yeah, that. I was, yeah, so sidebar discussion here. <laughs> we were able to reduce leakages by 67%. Now, that's a 1950s Bro. farmhouse and we were able to get that kind of a significant. So it went from 9.34 ACH50 down to 3.2, I think it was. That's brilliant. Yeah, that that's was, a total game changer. That's a oh, disruptive. Game changer, that's right? amazing. Yeah, and we did it without windows because we can't get windows for a while. The flooring wasn't all down, and our uh, puck lights weren't all in either. So we, I'm, I'm guessing we'll be probably, by the time we get the windows in, all the flooring down, all the trim sealed, everything, all the gaskets all in with the lights, we'll probably be somewhere around the 2.4, 2.5. Will you retest? Yeah, we have absolutely will retest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. it's man, we can go in so many directions here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're building there with those arms crossed, not you know, I don't need that shit, right? And that's the difference. But you take, you know, take the Larry uh, Clays and uh, Doug Terry's of the world. They want to find the leaks. Yep. Right. They want to well, find out where the flaws are so that they can improve it on the next one. Yeah. That's the mm -hmm. difference between these builders and the other builders and if and if you know going back to leadership and emily's in the same and as you are you know in the same boat where 
the leaders, the people that care, that are taking those extra steps, those are the people you want to do business with. The guy with his arms crossed, I don't need that shit. Yeah, well, we don't need you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, You don't need well, that person fi- on the team. I fired a few builders. Yeah. I just said, like, no. Like, if you can't get past this paper exercise that I've done with energy modeling, yeah. and you can't see the value to my client, who could be your client, uh, of following this, they've just spent $10,000 on my expertise. Uh-huh. And you're telling them that it doesn't matter? Yeah. Like, are you insane? <laughs> it's, you know, all of and my learning curve. Well, I can, you know, I would be happy. And that's where I'm happy. And I have done this in the past. Is I've collaborated with builders who don't know that much about energy conservation measures and don't know that much about air sealing. And so I've worked and helped them. And through the R2000 program, that's what I did. I brought on a whole, you know, as builders came into the program here in Nova Scotia, I brought them in and taught them how to do the air, taught their crews how to do the air sealing. Yeah. You know, and now nobody has to do that because in a new house, just pump up that arrow barrier and away you go. Like just step away. Bonus points, you get your blower door test at the same time, guaranteed you're going to hit a target. Yeah. Whatever your target is, whether it's, you know, 2.5 for the code or R2000 or passive house, you can dial that in. So your new construction can, can just be a rock star, just period, right? When we get into renovations, it's a little bit more complicated because are you going to do a, a pull everything apart? Are you going to, you know, that's a little yes. bit more complicated, but <laughs> yeah, yes. So yeah, there, there's, there's challenges there, but really the cool thing about this is it's not rocket science uh, either. It's, it's just some really fundamental yeah. things. Yeah. Here's, here's the things you need to do, but you need to do them and you need to do them well, and you need to have that performance test done on them. Otherwise you're bullshitting yourself yeah. Yeah. and you're not yeah. learning. And, you know, and I understand, you know, bottom lines are really hard because builders don't make a lot of money. But if you, and, and of course now where you, you have absolutely no free time because you're booked up until, you know, 2025, because Mm -hmm. there's nobody actually doing any more work or coming into the field, you know, you could actually find some amazing efficiencies by bringing your, bringing your game up. And focusing on, you know, some sort of a modified integrated design process so that you're actually working with your trades and coming together and not just having things slapped together. And, you know, we're going to end up with huge issues, massive issues as we move towards performance-based compliance in the coding houses. Massive. Because right now the code says thou shalt. And it leaves you this big, giant kind of goofy wiggle room on your new house so that, you know, yeah, you got to have some mechanical ventilation and, you know, if you, you might have to get to 2.5 or changes 50. But as we go up the tiered code, as that comes into play and we're seeing it, you know, as as the the step energy code, energy step code, I'll say backwards, um, in BC kicks up and performance-based compliance becomes the norm there are going to be class action suits all over the place because nobody knows how to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are going to be huge issues with poorly done details around headers. There are already issues we know about 
where, you know, somebody's used house strap around as their exterior air barrier, but they haven't actually done the proper sealing around the floor joists, around the headers. Those are rotting out. They, you know, because they're made out of, uh, you know, you know, a lot of them are made out of, of TGI. So they've got the OSB in the joist. It gets wet. It just becomes, you know, yeah. bedding for small creatures. You know, it's like for your hamster. And that's a big issue. And those things, if you don't, you know, so if we're pushing ahead with tiered energy codes and the energy step code and performance-based compliance, that we need to get people on board with that now. Well, we need to get more on board 10 years ago, but it's not being taught in trade schools for the yeah. for the most part. Carpenters are not being taught this. My son wants to be a carpenter. I am putting him through all of our energy advisor training before he hits school, not this September, next September. Well, so there's he's working be a with a valuable guy in the future. Yeah. People yeah. listening. But that's that's what every single person who is moving into this field needs to do. Yeah. It's not very expensive and it doesn't take you very long time. And we're doing really great things in terms of adding on to all the things that we can we're, you know, we're adding challenges into the training. Yeah. <laughs> I won't do a pitch for the training, but <laughs> it's it's really it's really key. That's the piece that's key to moving the whole industry forward is that we all understand building science and the unintended consequences of being stupid and lazy about yeah. those pieces. I agree with but that. Part of it is it's going to take <laughs> Joey Bagger Donuts contractor to get sued and do a perp walk for this to sink in. Someone has to get damaged publicly for this to sink in. Oh, people just declare bankruptcy. Come on. Yeah. Because well, that's part of I mean, the code. And, you know, and we've said this before mm-hmm. is that the code does not teach why no. we do things. It's about how no. people get judged on the how. How did you frame the house? How were the windows put yep. in? How was the installation well, done? Not and, and really, yeah. yeah, and absolutely, but it's not meant to be that document. No, right? that's right. The code yeah. code is based on on fire and safety. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. We've we've thrown in energy into there, but even though you know a lot of of the the building inspectors, the officials don't have you know that's one of the their sort of freakout points is our people don't have enough understanding of building science to be able to check yeah. this off. So who's going to do that? Was it the energy advisor or, you know, well, what are they doing and how are they trained? And is this regulated? No, it's not either. So who's going to do that work? Is it an engineer on every single friggin' house that's built every year from now on? That's not going to work either, right? CMHC, when they got out of the the housing mortgage guarantee business, I mean, quality housing took a nosedive. Oh, yeah. But it made room for people like Building Knowledge Canada, you know, Gordon, Mm -hmm. Andy and their team. And then when... Anarchan and CMHC stopped becoming the darling of the world, which was really sad. I mean, we Canada was a was really one of the leaders in building science and construction mm-hmm. technology. But again, people stepped up. And when I think about like Wilma Lund from BC Housing, yes, Wilma, you yep. know, I do very well. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, Wilma and BC Housing and BC Hydro with Gary Hamer, yeah, Gary, really, yeah. really like stepped up, and so. I'm actually doing research work that is funded by BC Housing. Yeah, <laughs> so, out in Halifax. Um, yeah. yeah, out in Halifax. Yeah, I mean, really, BC Housing is our research arm nationally, and um, because yeah. BC has all of the climate zones 
inside of it, it kind of works, but then it doesn't it doesn't hit those things. Like we have different issues here on the, the East Coast than on the West Coast in terms of horizontal driving rain and freeze thaw cycles that beat the crap out of everything. And then also major humidity issues that are changing us. We're not going to need humidification. So we're not going to need air conditioning for climate change. We're going to need dehumidification mm-hmm. on a massive scale. But it's interesting because on your LinkedIn on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago or this last week, somebody was asking about the housing for the chemically hypersensitive program. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. So I did that training, but I got pregnant and I never got certified because I just, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't uh, with, a, with a baby. That whole project was spearheaded by Virginia Solaris. And she was amazing. And she really rocked that for the years that she could. And then she ended up getting ill and passed away and that was kind of right at the same time that CMHC gutted their yeah. research department and tanked their export division and Enercan got all shuffled around again. And now they're kind of reshuffled again. But they, you know, there's a lot of, you know, moving parts of those bureaucracies that we relied on for many, many years that don't exist now or exist as just an absolute shell. And I fear for the huge amount of information that we are we could be losing when they just purge things out of the Canadian Housing Information Center. That's more wild There's, than it was, really. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm doing on my podcast, I'm jumping a little bit here, but this is really exciting for me, is I'm actually talking to people who have long histories in the industry, longer than you and I, Robert. Oh, my God. You <laughs> <laughs> have to dig them out of the graves. <laughs> I just brought that, I hauled them out of my but, but I'm really mm. thankful for the opportunity to capture the knowledge and understanding. And so when people go, you know, oh, well, Passive House does this and Passive House does that. I'm like, yeah. And Passive House actually was inspired by R2000, which started in 1986. I think it so, was sooner than that, wasn't it? It was, that was when it became official. Okay, yeah, because I remember when Joe Stebrook was running yeah. across the country trying to promote it, and I got out of school in 83, but we were learning about high-performance buildings. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I remember we it had to have been like 1984, and someone recruited us to do some design work on the homes, and ventilation back then was really in its infancy stage. Yeah. ERBs were in the marketplace first, but the application of it was very limited, you know, yep. and then you know what happened when all of a sudden buildings were tighter and well insulated, but no ventilation, right? Oh, but no ventilation. And now, we, and we still have the repercussions from that where people are like, oh, houses have to breathe or I'm not living in a plastic bag. Or, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah well, so okay, fine. And, you know, same I mean, builder. I, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> yeah, this is the same builder. They all look the same. It's just like the Borg. Um, (laughs) but the craziness of the fact that we're still talking about exactly the same issues that people were talking about when I jumped into this pool in 1990 it's like this needs to change we need to get the hell out of our own ways right as a collective industry we just need to buckle down and say yes this needs to be licensed like bc is great bc has a licensing program for builders and they also have a, a continuing education requirement so you can't yeah. hold your license if over a two-year period you don't get 20 cbd points CP, cbd <laughs> <laughs> that's just not CP. enough <laughs> that's just not enough that's what i take every night <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, so, and then in Ontario, HICRA now has, it was Terry and now HICRA manages mandatory competency training, but you don't need to have continuing education piece. And there's, there's another program, master builder program in Berta and one in New Brunswick. I'm not sure that those are mandated by law, but the fact that people push so hard against becoming licensed, like it's going to cost me more money. It's going to make, require me to train up. Yeah. Yeah, dumbass, it is. It really is. It's like there's a whole raft of people who would take their car to a backyard mechanic because they're really technically good. But if you're paying that person in cash and they screw up on your car, you have no repercussion. That's a car. When you do that same kind of thing and you're not licensed and you build a house or you do a renovation on what is the most, for most people, the biggest investment they're going to make in their life and you screw it up, and there's no repercussions. Now you've demolished somebody's life savings. You've demolished their hopes, dreams, and aspirations because you're not licensed and you didn't want to get licensed so that you could do whatever the hell you wanted and just be legal. Is there, no, is there no excitement in this? Is this to do better? <laughs> Adam has several times talked about you know the large-scale revolt by public, by the mm-hmm. society saying, that's it. We're not buying any more of your shit. So there's a huge onus on the construction industry to do, as you just said. But there is also an onus on society to to learn about how to buy a home. And I'll give you an mm-hmm. example because mm-hmm. this has always drove me nuts where somebody will spend, well, just to take the value of a home and that just for giggles, just to say it's a million bucks. It could be 500,000. It could be 10 million. I don't really care. Right. But if somebody was, let's just say, for example, someone was buying a starter home of whatever, three or $400,000. Well, if they were going to take that same amount of money and buy a Ferrari, you know they would be doing research work on that Ferrari. Yep. If they were yep. going to spend that kind of money on elective surgery, you can bet your ass they're going to try and find the best surgeon that they can to do the job for that kind of money. Anything that has any kind of value that, that outside of housing, yep. someone will do the homework. But why yep. is it when these people will gladly hand over hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars with somebody, and they won't do the background. I have never, never understood that. It's a cult. It, yeah, it's, it's a cult, right? You go well, in, think, people I have think, bought into the Kool-Aid and said, well, we'll put our faith in people that we, A, we don't know. We don't know what they don't know, right? And if they screw up, I have no repercussions. Yeah, and on the flip side, from a consumer point of view, it's desperately hard to find the information that's correct or that will help you. And it's overwhelming, right? Think about all the details that you have to consider. Do they understand that I want, and this is what what my, I, I basically had people, I never did any advertising or marketing. And I have had a solid, very lucrative career over the years with people coming to me and going, I can't find anybody who understands the fact that I want a sustainable house that doesn't have a lot of petroleum product in it in Mm. terms of, you know, it's not a foam installation. Mm -hmm. I want to have a passive solar house. I want to have a net zero house. I want to have a house that I can live in and that I could expand or contract with my family. And there's nobody out there except for I found your stinky little website somewhere or my friend you worked with a couple of years ago recommended you. I I'm turning down work. I'm not doing that much outside of the research work I'm doing right now. But for the last five years, I have turned down five to seven clients every single year. Mm -hmm. And that's just me not advertising. If you wanted to get into this world and be not a clone of Shauna, but 
Shauna like, you're going to be a rock star because people want this work. They need somebody who is going to help shepherd them through it, who understands the technical part of it and can basically be the fullback or the linebacker or whatever that position is, who defends the person who is running down the field with the ball, right? So that's them with their nest egg running down the ball. And I'm in front of them saying, here's what you need to have in hand. Here's what you need to understand. Here's the directions I'm giving you in terms of solid building science, in terms of your materials choices, in terms of even your budget. And I duke it out with my clients a lot about budget. It's like, you want everything, but you don't have all the money. That's the other thing, right? So pare it down. Don't put a carpet. Don't put a jacuzzi tub. Don't put a fancy ass kitchen on your mortgage. In the mortgage, you want to put things that you're going to be paying for over the years that are going to be stable and permanent parts of the house. Yeah. You've just committed heresy there. No hot tub, no <laughs> I said that to yep. my interior designer. She <laughs> but I'm not an interior designer, so I don't care. <laughs> no, that's not true. I care well, deeply about I, I mean, I care deeply about people's houses, but what got me into this in the first place was I care deeply about other people's lives. And this mm-hmm. has been the most amazingly fulfilling career for me to be able to walk into other people's homes and say, I can help you even if it's simply walking you through the things that you can do by yourself with a can of spray foam that, oh, I happen to have an extra one in my car here. Mm. And I'm going to show you how to use it and away you go. Like that's what drives me. And I think that's what pulls a lot of women into this industry as well is that there's an opportunity to be an amazing helpmate to somebody, to a lot of somebody, and still make a shit ton of money. I didn't make money for a few years because I was a single parent and it was hard. But my daughter was on, she was 10 days old when she was on site with me. <laughs> and I had done my last There's lower door. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, she was in her little bundled up in the middle uh, of this cold floor. But I had also did my the last blower door test I did was at eight and a half months pregnant. And uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> Nobody was helping me lift that gear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, there's a need for so much more flexibility in the industry to help other people get into it. And I really love that whole aspect of being able to be there for people and help people open up their eyes to what it is. And that's really what the Undergrad for Houses and the Energy Advisor piece is all about, is about, at its core, is about helping people understand their houses. Now, what happens most of the time is that I get people call me and they, or they send me their report from the, their assessment and go, so what does this mean and what do I do and who do I trust with this work? There's an ecosystem that needs to be built in there, that we have some big, giant gaps. There's, rightly so, the Energy Advisors are third-party evaluators. That's really important that they are not the people doing the work. It's so important. So you avoid all the issues with drive-by assessments like they had in California. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, here. I blew it out of your house. You're good. I did a blower door test. It's still standing. Um, It's still standing. (laughs) It's It's Um, Yeah, except for I, I cut my teeth on straw bale construction. Right. So, yeah, I, it's not true. <laughs> they don't put that. <laughs> you, you've hit the nail on the head, right? There's a, there's a few things you sort of covered there. One is, you know, owners need to be more informed and more demanding and yeah. punch people more. 
financially, yeah. metaphorically, right? Yeah. And then the licensing thing, I'm on board with that, but the problem with licenses in, when you license someone, you create a monopoly. So licensing is great, but you still got to work at the funnel that feeds the licensing system. Because Yeah, but if you, like in BC, if you want to be a builder, or in Ontario, yeah. if you want to be a builder, you can't legally be a builder without having that license. You've got to create a system that feeds people into that funnel. Just through yeah, my- yeah, no, I think I think that BC is electrician, right? So you have to join a union because that's the game here, right? We're in an episode of Sopranos, but wow, do they make it difficult, right? And then <laughs> I turn on the TV and someone's telling me there's trade jobs everywhere. But what I get people in my friend circle, which is very small, because I'm a narcissist, to <laughs> whenever someone works on their house, I say, ask that person for their license: carpenter, electrician, plumber. No one's got a license because they can't mm-hmm. get one. Because when they emigrate to the GTA, remember, 50% of all immigrants to Canada arrive to the GTA, right? And plumbers, electricians come in, and because they don't fit the mold, the union don't want them, and they can't get licensed, mm-hmm. they just go out and do work. Some good, some mm-hmm. bad, some indifferent, right? The yeah. system has got to be opened up to everybody to get yeah. into that funnel and be funneled through and checked and certified and licensed, right? And again, the corruption at that level drives me insane. We need more doctors. Come on in. You're a doctor from India. You know what? Fuck you. We don't recognize that the minute you land here. It's the same thing with engineers. Yeah. Same engineers. Come on in. Oh, you filled out the form. You got masters. Good for you. Come on in. Oh, guess what? Didn't tell you this when you applied. You can't get a job here or a license. Enjoy that. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And go back to, the, to go back and redo seven years of school to get your license. Yeah, yeah. Canadians yeah. do. Well, Emily, Emily's a good example of that. Emily Kern from Equals Energy. I mean, yeah. she has her master's degree in building science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And wanted to become a member of our local engineering association and even the technology association. And so this the hoops that she, that she would have had to go through were so difficult. And the reality is, is I, and I just said, I said, Emily, well, she we are the job site. We had a job site meeting. I said, Emily, you don't need it. Mm-hmm. You're building up a business and you've got such a great reputation. I mean, it would be nice to have those letters behind your name, but you know what? What's nice is having money in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's how your recognition is going to come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I fall through all the cracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I fall through all the cracks. I'm not a licensed builder. I'm not an engineer. I'm not an engineer technologist. I'm not an architectural technologist. I'm not an architect, but I can run circles around pretty much everybody in the country in terms of building science and what it means and the history of what we've got. So, I mean, I've just basically with the training programs, I've basically carved out a niche for myself that is going to be hopefully really, really helpful to the industry because we've got so many people we need to bring into the field. And at the same time, people who are just starting to learn about construction, they're probably in another field or need to have a job that they can pay their rent, et cetera. So that's where the online training came in for yeah. for me was that this, oh, this makes complete sense is that you can up your game as somebody in the residential construction industry without being off the tools because that's where you lose money. And that's another reason why yeah. we're in this, we continually are in this place where we get dragged back is because nobody can take the frigging time off the tools, right? They can't because it hits their bottom line. They can't because their clients are going to throttle them. Yeah. And they need to keep their crews in, in motion. So being able to take it out of the classroom and throw it online, yeah. and now they can do mm-hmm. it in off hours or as it suits them with downtime, right? Mm-hmm. That's really important. 
Yeah, that is a, that's a real big factor. People really underplay that. You've got to be working five, six days a week. Yeah, if you want me to do CPD, I've got to do it on my time, right? Yeah. And so the super cool thing that we're doing with the training right now, and I'm very excited about this, is by June, all of our building science and construction technology courses will all have an audio version associated with them. So you can listen in your truck because where do contractors live? They live in their vehicle. And so we've had several people ask about that because, well, this is great learning, but, you know, I can't use it in my truck because it chews up my data plan. And so this edition that we're doing is basically like a private podcast. Nobody else will be able to get to it. If you're a Blue House student, then you get to to get this as well. And then we're going to do some work in the back end. And then it's going to become a subscription base and it's going to be super cheap. So your, your blue house. But you won't get, you don't get CPD for that. Your training business is really becoming your full-time gig now, your full-time work? I'm split half and half right now. I'm doing, I'm doing some work with Intercan on exterior retrofits on benchmarking those for the Atlantic Canada region, looking at what are the primary ways that houses were put together over two and a half centuries? Pfft, no big deal. <laughs> with sticky tape and paper clip mostly. Sounds yeah, like a yeah. museum piece. Well, part of it is, and I actually, the, the background, the lit re- review I did was very interesting and very exciting. Do yeah. you know there are houses in New England and Atlantic Canada that were built with a stick frame and some kind of weird ass wall cloth and then siding, cladding, mm. clubbered siding. Uh-huh. And on the inside, it has the same weird-ass cloth and thin paneling. There is no sheathing. When I when we it's like, I was like, times to run on an energy point of view, right? Wow. Yeah, but on the, you know, at the same time, it's all actual size lumber. It's not a nominal two by four. It's not mm. a nominal board. So you know, you're, you're able to get a good anchor into anything if you're doing yeah. an external retrofit. So yeah, that's yeah. a bonus point. But so doing that piece, and then I'm also on a team where we just won a contract with the Western region of Nova Scotia, seven rural municipalities, and we're working on a deep energy retrofit plan for them to hit their 30-year energy and carbon reduction targets. So it's a feasibility study to move towards a pilot project. It's funded by FCM, and we're creating an online house inventory that will be for municipalities to use. It will say, okay, so here's HRM. Let's use the Halifax Regional Municipality. Throw that into, you ask the, this online platform to show you the details about the housing stock. And it comes up and it says, okay, so you've got, these are your top four types of houses. And it goes across a matrix and says, here's small, medium, large, and extra large. Here's the range of sizes. And then it also puts them into vintages. So you can all of a sudden see, oh, we have, like in Nova Scotia in general, we have 50% of our housing stock is a single-story house. And 50% of that was built between 1946 and 1970. Where's the sweet spot? What house are we going to go after for an external retrofit program like Energy Sprung or Pier? Oh, I think it's probably, you know, those lovely Victorian houses because they're really big. No, it's not. It's these oh. stupid, boxy Yep. bungalows yep. that are absolutely brilliant. All you're doing is putting panels around the outside of them. And they have overhangs that are wide enough so that you don't have to worry about doing the chainsaw mm-hmm. retrofit like Harold Orr. Now we're going somewhere, right? And now yeah, we've yeah. got something to start from. So that's the first part of this feasibility study. And then we're looking at, we're going to put together a whole bunch of packages 
costing in them so that the municipalities can then say, oh, well, so if we thought we were going to do 30 houses in a year, it's going to cost us a chunk, a chunk, a chunk of this much. So there'll be actually be a calculator on there. So it gives them a top level idea of how much money they would have to ask for or find in financing to carry out a municipal level retrofit program, exterior retrofit program. And then looking at tiny little localized panelization shops. So in rural Nova Scotia, and as, as in a lot of rural Atlantic Canada, there are a lot of people who are seasonally employed, who yeah. are underemployed, who have really great skills with their hands. And so with these tiny little shops, we want to see how many little shops can we put together to create local economic development and just have this work continue because we start with one type of house and then it goes through to the next type and the next type. And by the time we've managed all of those easy houses and done some of the tough houses, we get to go back to another range of houses that are now 20 to 30 years older, right? So it's like this whole lovely cycle of building within a community. You can't outsource this kind of work, right? Yeah. Just, no, no, it's, so it's impossible. Job creation and benefit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's when I, when I was talking earlier about ecosystem. That's the ecosystem we have to build is there has to be somebody like Shauna, who in this program we're calling an energy concierge in this project we're doing with FCM. So we have an energy concierge and that person either has the technical skills or has a direct pipeline to an energy advisor or a service organization who does have the technical chops to do it. But this person is the face that helps people navigate. So yes, you may be eligible for some funding for greener homes or whatever it is, but no, your house is too young. It was built in 1990. It doesn't qualify for this piece, but it qualifies for that. You know, so it streams people in terms of the house type they have, in terms of the age, in terms of the condition, in terms of the value for you just recited your house. Oh, well, okay. So an exterior retrofit is not for you, but yeah, yeah. yeah, you want to make sure that you're not missing all of the houses that are just going to be recited or reclad this year, right? You want to make sure that those are the houses that you're getting. We're coming up on time. I do want to ask you one or last or meaty question, but it's probably a, a bear. So I, I need you to respond to this bearish or bullish. Right? So the question is, are you in a land, we live in a country called Canada, where the biggest selling vehicle by far is an F-150 truck, which is about as sustainable as a logging operation in the Amazon, right? So are you bearish or bullish on Canada's ability to meet its carbon targets in 30 or 50 years? The optimist in me is like, yes, we can pull this together. But the fact that I've been in this industry for 30 years and we're still like <laughs> at this place, I'm like, uh, and we're getting, you know, like these trucks are now like the new F-150. Monster trucks. You could put two of the ones that from 1980 in that thing. They're the same volume it. displacement. And don't get me started on individual cars and stuff. No, 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 no. So I'm kind of I'm mixed. I really want it to be thumbs up on that. But I, yeah, probably pretty delusion. Yeah, delusional, no. Disillusioned. I I'm disillusioned and bitter and jaded enough to think, no, we're not going to fucking make it. If you saw the number of F-150s near me and the mansions that are parked in front of it, it's hard to be optimistic. Do you know what I mean? On carbon. Yeah, it yeah. really is. The lack of foresight and thought, you know, we had, when you look at what was in operation in the 1980s in terms of rail lines. Yeah. And now all of those things, 
good chunk of them here in Nova Scotia. Most of them are beautiful, beautiful trails for bicycles mm-hmm. and <clears throat> people on horses and people on foot. But they get buzz bombed by ATVs all the fucking time. So <laughs> how nice is that? But the fact that we basically tore out the fundamental infrastructure of this company, of this company, country over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years because we had trucks is crazy so now we're in this place where where people are isolated and i live 35 minutes outside of the core of halifax and i have no option other than to have a vehicle for each person in my household yep that's the canadian way of life quite frankly and it's Um, it's obscene and i can't change it we take advantage of we try and do as much as we possibly can within our household but I was also reading something the other day that I want to add this into the mix is that I can't remember the year 1995-ish, BP were the folks who flipped the switch on the individual carbon footprint. And that has been, you might as well just stabbed people in their hearts in terms of like, what can I do? Oh, well, you can, you know, use LED lights. You can get an electric vehicle. No. It's got to be at the top level. Planning level has to be, we can connect all of the stuff to mass transit, to light rail, to electric trams, to whatever. We as individuals are not responsible for the shit show that is our carbon load now. Yeah, we're reactors. We're not proactive because we haven't got the resources to make proactive, right? Yeah. What are we going yeah, to make? So, yeah. what, what, what benefit is that change? You know, so I get my load down to however many tons. Well, that's grand, but I know my neighbor's down the road, but he's got three F20, F150s, F326s, <laughs> F150s in his backyard. You know, this is the free market um, boy in me says the answer to this is you've got to cut the subsidies and let the price signals drive it, right? You try filling right. up an F-150 truck with gas in London, you'd soon be selling that thing. You'd sell that the very yeah. next week. Yeah. yeah. If you're in Denmark, yeah. Yeah. you'd be just gross. taxed yeah. into reality because I think what, yeah. what is the saying there? You buy one, you pay for three, yeah. buy mm-hmm. a vehicle, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to be very careful what you're buying yeah. and why you're buying yeah. it. Do you guys know Dave Stewart, engineer out here in the, on the East Coast? No, so. I don't know. A few years ago, and I bring this up every once in a while, and I'm going to eventually do a redo of his work but he did this amazing back of the envelope calculation several years ago now that was looking at subsidies to the oil and gas industry versus subsidies to renewable energy Mm. and at that time so we're going back to late 90s at that time oil and gas research and development got the equivalent of a large double double and a donut from Timmy's for each Canadian every day of the year. And renewable energy got a Timbit for every Canadian for every day of the year. So the GO train, it goes from the suburbs of Toronto into Toronto, right? So if you want to drive a train down the track, the train company has to build a track, right? Who builds the track for cars? We do, taxpayers. They get free, Mm -hmm. the industry gets free rails, right? Right, right, right. That's just one in-your-face subsidy that's so in-your-face you don't even see it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yes. Charlie, it's been great having you on the show. And, yeah, thank you. Uh, I always follow each other you know, on, online, social media, and different conferences. And 
best of luck with, I mean, you've been doing some amazing stuff with your education programs and yeah. you know, leading Thanks. the charge out in the East, but you have an influence across Canada. In fact, well, all over North America, really. So keep it up. And uh, yeah. thanks very much for coming on. We appreciate that. Okay. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. much. The Edifice Complex will continue in just a moment. Adam, it's time to thank some people who are on our side. Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software. Blue Rhythm is the commissioning software I've been looking for. Most projects I consult on suffer from poor information and document management. Frankly, it's just chaos out there. Blue Rhythm removes this chaos. It is a secure, always available cloud solution designed to work on any computer, tablet or smartphone. Their Android and iOS apps allow seamless transition between online and offline work. But what I like most about Blue Rhythm is their painless and fast onboarding process. Our team will bring all your existing forms and checklists into Blue Rhythm for you, or you can use or adapt their pre-built, pre-functional and functional performance test sheet templates. But it's more than that. It enables collaboration, automation, and easy planning and project management for all your projects. Blue Rhythm provides amazing support from a team that really understands your industry. To find out more, go to bluerhythm.com or call country code plus one, six one two, 460-8305. Also, you can hear from Blue Rhythm President Andy Martin on episode 26 of the Edifice Complex podcast. Robert, Robert, we there yet? I'm bored. <laughs> Adam, well, it's hard to believe, but the future has finally arrived in Canada. How's that then? Well, smart remote building and equipment management is now available from Sensor Suite. Go on. Sensor Suite, yep, they're an innovator of smart building technology. We like them. They can monitor, control, and optimize anything in your building, saving you time and energy. You mean Sensor Suite are moving Canadian buildings into the 21st century? Yeah, I know, another hard thing to believe, but they're doing it and they're saving owners money with efficiency gains. Okay, I'm in. How do I find out more? Gotta go to sensorsuite.com or call 1 855 773 6767. And also check out the July 2020 episode of the Edifice Complex podcast and listen to Sensor Suite CEO Glenn Spry. And now back to the show. Another uh, great discussion. <laughs> Sean doesn't pull any punches, which is great. I love that. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of respect for people who just tell it the way it is. And it's important. I mean, some people can, well, let's just put it this way. There's no room for pussyfooting around some of the stories that happen in housing. Some people just need to have the two by four on the side of the head. Yeah. So this a good two by four. So, I like it when we get, uh, I hate it's such a cliche that strong women, I hate that because it's such a cliche, yeah. but I like it when you, we have females in the industry come on, right? And you get some of their war stories because it yeah, is tough. Sure. I, I always admired Margaret Thatcher just because she just, her, her basic point was, I'm better than all these idiots around me, so of course I'm on top. You know, it's like, yeah. how is that even not obvious? You know what I mean? But, yeah. you know, she just didn't mind. She just got on with it and I did it. And yeah. that's sort of what I've tried to do with my daughters. Like, say, look, I know sometimes it's unfair, but no one cares. So you just got to objectively punch your helps way through these things, right? And yeah. Sean has obviously done that, right? You know, it's not easy being a... A female in the construction. Well, no, and she, and, like, people need to understand. So she wants to get some experience. She's willing to move out to Halifax from British Columbia to go work for a builder. She says, I'll do anything. I'll pick up cigarette butts. Yeah, yeah. And he's, well, no, you can't come on a coup because you're a girl. Just, FTS. Just <laughs> Sean, I moved 
an eight-hour flight from where she lived. Yeah. You know, this is like a continent trip. This isn't like I'm going to the next town. This is getting no. on a plane and moving your whole life across a continent. Yeah. And a lot of females that we've had on have had stories like that, which are yeah. just admirable. And I, I mean, the tenacity, I mean, they would break a lot of men. <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> couldn't get up, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's just, so there's a lot to be learned. One of the things that she said, which was actually kind of took me back, which is, you know, when she talked about 15% of enrollment in trade schools is, yeah, that was but only a small percent of, of them actually stay in the field. And I just thought, oh, man, that is, a, that is a fundamental problem and we have to figure it away. And, and part of it, then she said, you know, as part of it is the toxicity of the, of the industry, full stop. You know, there is a toxic amount there, but there's also... On both genders, people that start out in that area, then they decide that it's not for them, Yeah, you know? So how much of, I would be interested to know how many people start out in the trade schools and how many people left. And then, of course, how many were males, how many were females? I got to be thinking apart. There's a data point there that would be, be interesting to explore. But even still, 15% down to whatever, 4%, that's not a way to change getting the quality on the job sites. We, no, have, to, and, we have to figure that one out. I don't. I mean, it's not attractive, right? I mean, even to a lot of men, you know, you're saying someone you're going to go to trade school for four or five years, your work environment could be freezing cold, can be dangerous, it's pretty goddamn toxic and masculine and everyone's like nagging everyone, you know. It's a bit of a hard sell. But the other thing is I don't think trades are marketed well, right? The truth is, yes, it's hard work, but you can earn a great living here, you can support yourself, You've got skills that could be in demand. Frankly, if I was starting again, I'd go straight into the trade. I'd be a licensed electrician. Boom. You're going to have a great life if you can pull that off, right? You're going to work hard, right? You're going to be cold. Things are going to fall on your feet and hurt you. You know, all that's going to happen. But you're going to have a great life, and you're going to earn. your And your ability to move around as a licensed, qualified electrician I mean, take the UK. I go back and forth to the UK a lot on business at the moment. They are so short on people. If you want to emigrate to the UK and you're a licensed electrician, you would be in there within three months. Boom. In you go. Right? So it's such – the trades are just not marketed. And they're not marketed to – in general, but they're definitely not marketed to the ladies, right, to females at college. Someone should be going into high school and saying, here are your options. You can go to university. You can come to trade school. You know, and like someone explain what that means. Because people have this misconception that trade schools are all hammer and nails. It's not. It's technical. You're in a classroom. There's someone explaining formulas to you and telling you the why and the what and the how, right? Yeah. Not just like, here's a bit of wood, hit the hammer on it this way. You know? <laughs> and there's room for either horizontal or vertical movement within the industry. Yeah. My late wife's um, niece, was an electrician. So she got her dream an electrician and now she's working uh, as a branch manager for Ecole Electric. Perfect. You know, and so you think about it, right? So you go through school, you get on the trades, you get into the field, you learn the stuff, you learn the parts, you learn how the go gets put together. In her case, she's just a really personable, really likable person. And when she ended up at, because uh, they offered her a job, so she, you could easily find a job for you here. You've got all this experience. And, and people like you, you know, and people would come in and just ask for her because she knew what she was doing yeah. and she was easy to get along with. 
Uh, well, that kind of a person, that's just those two things right there. You know what you're yeah. doing, you're easy to get along with. Yeah, there's a place for everybody in that kind of in a business, right? Yeah. The trades is such an underrated, undersold yeah. lifestyle, let's call it, right? Yeah. But it's criminal, really. Right? How, are you, how are people not seeing this? You know I mean? Well, and you know, and it's people so oh, I don't want to go in the trades. It's like a low level self-deprecating why would you do that to yourself it's got a bad yeah, it needs a pr makeover really yeah. is what it needs yeah yeah and, you know a good friend of mine their son is 19 and uh he just turned 19 but he got a job halfway through high school as a, an apprentice plumber nice so hey think about this people like so here you have a kid he's 18 years old he's working in high school on his apprenticeship right earning whatever amount of money per hour, right? By the time he's 20, so he's 18, by the time he's 22, he'll be a journeyman plumber, you know, pulling in whatever 40, 50 bucks an hour because he could be working for somebody. Yeah. But then the next four years, he'll develop tons of skills. And then if he's smart and has, and he's got some, he's got some capabilities to be his own owner, that guy will be pulling in $100,000, a year and more. And if he's really smart, he'll be building up the share value in his company so that when he gets to be 45 or 50, he's got something to sell that's worth millions of dollars. And on top of that, no that's massive student debt. Right. No, exactly. Right. <laughs> What's the yeah, advantage? I don't know. And again, it goes for both genders here. But if you're looking for a spouse, a partner to spend the rest of your life, you want somebody that, A, is good with their hands and can fix shit. Yeah. <laughs> Right, because you don't want to be hiring out stuff like that. They make good money. They're good, solid people. Right? They're yeah. humble, but they've got you know they've got some leadership skills and. Yeah, no, it's 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 so we we need to people need to pass to cheerlead this because I'm mm -hmm. so bullish on this thing. And yeah. you talk to people about it, they look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> you're like what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Your son is gonna be. He's going to get into the. He's already an electrician, or he's, he's done his pre-apprentice program. But the union shut down over COVID. They're just opening up, so he's going down for an interview in June. Yeah, okay. Union. He wants to be a commercial electrician. Yeah, he wants to do commercial maintenance electrician rather than residential. And those guys do some neat stuff, man. Like it's, again, like this. The sky's the limit. I got a train coming by. Can you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of trains, you know, Charlotte yeah. made the point about you know removing. Part of the infrastructure of Canada, when they pulled up a lot of tracks, turned them into trails, right? Yeah. So there is change, but by doing so, then you force everybody to. It's, now, what do you do? Well, you got to buy a vehicle, right? Because that's a good point. You know, the old individual carbon footprint. Yeah, there's there's some there's a discussion there, but the real thing that matters is the infrastructure. Yeah. Macro level, governmental level. Yeah. And right? Canada, you know, for those that are listening from around the world, like I mean, we're living in one of the least dense. Places on the planet. There's room to do everything here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get, you get anything, I think Canada's, was it the second largest? Second largest country, country in the world. In the world. 90% of its population lives along the US border. Yeah. It's, it's insane, actually. Yeah. If you want to know what it's like, I mean, there's NASA has some great photographs, nighttime photographs of lights, right? So when you yeah. can see is around the world, like you got Hong Kong and. Yeah. You know, Dubai and London, these are the bright lights that show up, New York, Chicago, you know, Seattle, San Francisco, and then Canada, you've got Vancouver, Toronto, and then you get a little bit of lights in Montreal and Halifax and 
Calgary and Edmonton, but you get beyond that. And there's, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, yeah, you got, there's nothing, man. It's dark. Yeah. <laughs> okay, dark. man. Well, listen, we better wrap it up there. So that was a good yeah. one. Enjoy. Well, your <laughs> yeah, thanks. And uh, we'll, we'll obviously touch base again. And uh, yeah. we got some more guests coming up for those that are listening. We always have great guests. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're so lucky, man. All right. All right. So yeah. safe. Bye. Thanks, Adam. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.